Well, folks, this morning we um, we are fixing to embark on a journey, and uh, Pastor Clinton mentioned a moment ago that it's a six-week-long journey, but basically it starts today. Uh, next week I will be preaching a series of sermons starting next week that will coincide with each one of the lessons that you guys are going to be going over in your small groups, and so uh, I'm excited about it. I think that perhaps these next seven messages, counting today and next six weeks, um, will be messages that I really believe are some of the most important messages that you will hear this year because they deal with what on earth you're here for. See, if you can ever figure out what on earth you're here for, it makes life so much easier. Amen? Amen. So we're going to launch into it. I'm going to give you a little bit of information as to what's going to happen next week, and then we'll get into the Word. Let's see. It's 11.08. I believe I will be finished by at least two. So y'all just get comfortable. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for the opportunity you've given us today. And Lord, we want to take full advantage of this Word that you have for us. Lord, I believe that it is a very important Word that you want to speak into our hearts. So Father, I pray the anointing of the Spirit of God Come down in this place, Lord. Anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to receive, Father. Anoint me as I speak, Lord, that I will speak, Father, what is in your heart. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we do start next week on this uh, fall spiritual growth campaign, and it's going to be for six weeks, uh, and we're going to focus on spiritual growth. And everyone in this room, regardless of how long you've been a Christian, no matter how many times you've studied the Bible, I will tell you we all need to be growing spiritually. Amen? Because this is what I believe. Once you stop growing, you're dead. Amen. So we're going to start this as a spiritual growth campaign, what, I'm, what on earth am I here for? And we're going to take a look at what your vocation is. And you say, well, I know what my vocation is. I'm a computer programmer. I'm a UPS driver. Or I'm this or I'm that. I'm a pastor by vocation. But maybe it's a little bit different perhaps than you're thinking right now. We're going to talk about your vocation, your calling, your purpose, and it's according to God's plan for your life. Amen probably in a deeper way than we've ever looked at it before. We're going to look at what your calling is about. So during these next six weeks, what on earth am I here for campaign, we're going to hear, as I said, six messages on God's purpose for each of our lives in more detail probably than you've ever heard. I, I hope, I hope, I'm, I'm holding on to a hope that every person that's a part of this ministry will be part of a small group. I hope you get signed up. We're going to have plenty of small groups out there, and we're going, to, we're going to believe that everyone's going to get part of a small group. And in those small groups, you're going to come together each week. You're going to watch a short video, and you're going to have a little workbook that you work through. You're going to have discussion questions that you're going to be talking about, and you're going to memorize some Scripture. How many of y'all know it's good to memorize Scripture? Amen. I have hidden your word in my heart, Lord. That's what it says. So we're going to memorize Scripture verses together. Uh, probably some of the most important Scriptures in the Bible, six of them. We're going to have some projects that you're going to practice together. We're going to do daily reading for 42 days. This is the six weeks that we're going to be involved in this campaign. We're going to do daily reading. You're going to have an assigned uh uh, a piece of reading that you're going to be every week looking to. And if you show up and you haven't done your reading, your group members are going to know. So this morning, 
I want to kind of get us ready for this. I want to prepare our hearts, if you would, for this spiritual growth campaign by looking at a few things that I, I know that we need so as to get ready. So if you open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, I'm going to go to it here in just a moment. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 11 is where we're going to be launching from. One of the greatest gifts that God has given us, folks, is the freedom to choose. How many of you all know that he has given you a free will? You can do whatever you want. God is not some puppeteer up there that's managing our lives and causing us to do all the things we do. We have our own free choice. We have a free moral choice. And the problem with God giving us that free moral choice, one of the greatest gifts that he's ever given humankind is that freedom of choice can also be a curse. Let me explain to you how it's a curse in my life. Are you all ready? I can make some really stupid choices. And so can you. <laughs> uh, amen. I mean, that's, that's where we're at. The freedom of choice. I mean, we've got these ways. that God, I mean, this thing that God has given us, and we can make some stupid choices. And the problem with me a lot of times is I make a lot of stupid choices. We make dumb decisions. Every choice that I make sometimes is not the best of choice that I could be making. So what we do with this amazing gift God has given us is we we waste that power of freedom of choice. How many of you know that we have power in that, in that decision God made to give us choice? We have power in it. Every January, people all over the world make decisions. They make choices, which are called New Year's resolutions. Anybody ever make that besides me? Well, this is kind of it. The problem with New Year's resolutions comes with this. We usually make them about trivial stuff in our lives, not the most important things in our lives. And then once we make those New Year's resolutions, what we try to do is accomplish each one of those resolutions just by strict willpower. How many of you are like me and you have great willpower? Okay, okay, don't raise your hands. You may have willpower not to eat chocolate if you hate chocolate. But man, I'm telling you, you get a German chocolate cake with that fancy icing in front of it. I've made a New Year's resolution. I'm not going to eat it. I'm breaking that resolution. Amen? That's just strict willpower. If you set some kind of New Year's resolution and you try to accomplish it with just strictly willpower, I give you probably to maybe February, maybe January the 2nd, because willpower doesn't last. It's good that we start that way, but it just doesn't last. Pretty soon, you get tired, you give up, you stop that habit that you committed yourself to, and all of a sudden, that new thing that you're trying, it just goes by the wayside. So this is what I'm saying. You need more than just willpower. You need more than just willpower. You need resolve. You need resolution. So resolve means this, to decide, to settle, to determine, to purpose. Resolution is a firm determination to do something. And so today, the title of our message is, is deciding your future. Because I will tell you this, each and every one of us, in this room that we can call ourselves adults, we are in control of our futures, amen? We are in control of our destiny. And so this morning, we're going to talk about that because we are going to decide that. 
I had a decision to make 40 years ago, as many of you have come to that place in your life. I could either follow Jesus or I could keep walking the direction I was going. I was walking. I made a decision 40 years ago. I decided my future. Are you all ready for this? I decided what I was going to do. I accepted Jesus Christ as personal Savior, and I have walked with Him ever since. So deciding your future, getting rest, <clears throat> excuse me, getting ready for the rest of our lives, because this is it. Every one of us in this room this morning, everyone listening online, we are embarking on the rest of our lives today. Can't go back and change anything. I'd love to be able to do that, but you can't. So we're going to look at what I believe are fair, four very important resolutions that you and I can make in accordance with our lives. These resolutions that we're going to make, they are literally life-shaping resolutions. What I'm going to share with you this morning is if, if you will make these four resolutions and, and, and then depend not on your own willpower, but depend on God to help you. See, this is the key to it. Not our own willpower, because if you make these resolutions, you say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Bless God, I'm going to do it, because I'm tough. I'm tough as shoe leather. I'll promise you this. In a few weeks, a few months, you will probably have forgotten all about this spiritual growth campaign. But if you'll go into this deciding that I'm going to make these resolutions in my life, and I am going to depend on God to help me, I will promise you this, emphatically promise you this, it will radically improve your life. And I don't know about you all, but I'm always looking for ways to improve my life. Amen? I have never went out there and looked for a way that it's going to make my life worse. Amen? Never did. Commercials all over television, not one of them is saying, you know what, you buy this product, it's going to make your life stink. <laughs> They're all saying, what, you buy this, it's going to make your life great. Amen? I promise you this. If you will do what we are going to study this morning, make those resolutions in your life, believe God to make it happen, it'll radically improve your life. Not just for this six-week campaign, but it will literally change the rest of your life. The rest of your life will become the best of your life. So this morning, we're going to look at the life of Moses. Greatest Old Testament leader. Well, he, you know, I mean, outside of Jesus, he's probably the greatest leader that's mentioned in the Bible. Uh, King David obviously was up there around the top, and so we're not going to debate that. But he freed the whole nation of Israel from captivity. A whole nation, 400 years. 400 years. I mean, think about it. Almost as old as some of you. 400 years in slavery, and Moses comes in, and he literally, through the, the, the divine intervention of the hand of God, he, he frees them from slavery. He's the guy that got the Ten Commandments up on Mount Sinai. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. And so you got to ask the question, man, here's Moses, this amazing man of God. You know, why is it that God used Moses? I mean, why didn't he use Aaron or why didn't he use somebody else that the Bible talks about in the, day and in, in the days that Moses lived? Why was it that God picked this specific individual? I believe it's because Moses made some resolutions in his life 
I believe he made four decisions, four choices that literally altered his destiny. And these are the things that, that, that we're going to talk about this morning, that if you take them and apply them to your life through the power of the Holy Spirit, it will change your life. These aren't insignificant changes. It's not like getting up and saying on New Year's Day, <clears throat> I'm going to make a resolution to... Uh, you know, watch 30 minutes less TV. That's an insignificant decision. Are y'all there? You go, well, I made that last year. Okay, hang in here. These are life-shaping resolutions. That's why I wanted to start out with saying these messages are important, and we've got to get them. So what happens to you in life is not nearly as, as important as the choices you make. Because every one of us, all kinds of crazy things happen in our lives. We were raised in different environments, and we had, you know, the hard knocks of, of education come our way. We can't control what's going to happen to us in these next 365 days. I look forward to 2021 because I really would like 2020 to be behind us. Amen? But the problem with that is I have no idea what's going to happen in 2021. It could be worse than what happened in 2020. So I don't know what's coming, but this is what I'll tell you. I can control how I respond to it. Amen? We make our choices, and then our choices make us. Our character, the character that's in each and every one of us is the sum total of the choices that we've made in our lives. So while you don't control all the circumstances in your life, you do control your choices. As Corrie Ten Boom made the statement years ago, she said, whenever somebody spits on me, because she had a lot of people spit on her because she preached the gospel, she said, whenever somebody spits on me, she said, I have two decisions. I can either get mad or I can just get wet. Come on. You don't control your circumstances, but you do control your choices. And these are far more important than circumstances. Our choices are so important. I cannot tell you and emphasize it enough at how important our choices are. Cho choices matter more than the circumstances that we live in. You make your choices, and then again, your choices will make you. So this morning, Moses, the story of Moses. Moses, born to a Hebrew family. They were slaves, enslaved by the Pharaoh of Egypt, most powerful nation in the whole planet at that time. And uh, they had been there literally for 400 years in slavery. And so, you know, you have these generations, they have no idea even what freedom's like because they were born into slavery, born into, born into slavery. So Moses was born and Pharaoh was getting a bit nervous because the Hebrew population was growing so rapidly that he decided, well, we're going to slow that population growth down by killing every baby boy that's born. Well, Moses was born during this time of the edict that the Pharaoh is going to kill all these baby boys. And so they're rounding up all these babies in the Hebrew quarters of Egypt, and they're taking them out and killing them. Well, Moses' mother just couldn't live with that. And so what she did, she took a little basket, put Moses in it, 
boats floated it down the Nile River, and just so happened, just so happened, oh, coinky-dinkily, just so happened the Pharaoh's daughter is out there, and she's taking a swim in the Nile River whenever the baby comes by. She has her servant girl go get it. They open the basket up, and here's this little darling baby inside that basket. The Pharaoh's daughter heart was just go, oh, a baby, a baby, a baby. And she took that baby and raised it as her own adopted that baby into the family of the Pharaoh. You understand? The grandfather of Moses is Pharaoh. Hoo-yah! He had all the power and prestige. He had the best schooling, he had the best training. He, he had all the wealth of the kingdom of Egypt at his control. Moses, the prince of Egypt. Wow. Anybody see that movie? It was a great movie. So Hebrews 11, verse number 23 is where I'm going to start reading this morning. And this is, uh, if you look at these five verses that I'm going to read, the first verse is about the choice that Pharaoh's, Pharaoh, that Moses' parents made for him. And the other verses are the choices that Moses made. So the first one is about Moses' Mother and father making a choice. The last one is about Moses making a choice. So this is what it says in verse number 23. It says, By faith Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. And they were not, they were, they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith... Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible." So in this passage, there are four verbs that we need to look at. We need to look at refused, choose, regarded, and preserved. All of those, ver all of those verbs we're going to look at. It says Moses by faith refused, Moses by faith chose, and Moses regarded, Moses preserved, or persevered, I'm sorry. So Whenever you understand the meaning of these verbs that are included in this passage, I really believe that their implication for our lives today, thousands of years after Moses lived, I believe these, these verses, these verbs can change our lives. So the first life-shaping choice, the first life-shaping verb, it says, Refuse to be defined by others. Refuse. Don't want it. I'm not going to have my life defined by others. God didn't create you to be what someone else wants you to be. Man, that's a powerful statement there, folks, because we constantly have pressures around us trying to shape us in to something that God does not want us to be shaped in. And you go, what are you talking about? 
Well, folks, if you, if you come to the South and you are not raised in the South, one of the things you probably want to do is get along with Southerners. So you start talking about Southern things. You know, you start talking about, I love RC Cola and Moon Pies, and I, I like all this stuff that the Southerners love. You move to Montana as we did. You know, you start talking about coolies and Davenports and crazy stuff that had, you know, everything, every soft drink that's known to mankind is called pop in Montana. It's pop. You want to pop? Stay away from me. Everything's trying to shape us. We got an advertising kingdom out there that's trying to shape us. It's trying to shape our thought processes as to how we dress, how we uh, are perceived, our physical bodies, how we speak. All of these things are so important to the world that's around us, and it's trying to shape us. Hebrews 11, 24 says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the Pharaoh's son. Moses has an identity crisis. He's born of a Hebrew slave, but he's raised as an Egyptian royalty in the palace, and he had to decide. He had to decide, who am I? I, am I a Jew? Am I an Egyptian? What? And the choice that he's going to make here is going to affect the rest of his life. Are you all here with me this morning? The choice he makes is going to affect the rest of his life. Two choices he had. Listen to, listen to the wording. He could pretend to be Pharaoh's grandson. Y'all there? He could pretend to be Pharaoh's grandson. He could have fame and fortune and a luxurious lifestyle. He could have all the privilege that that, that that title bought him. Or number two, he could admit that he was a Jew. If he admitted that he was a Jew, he would be humiliated. He would be thrown out. He would have a life of slave labor. And so this is, this is where I'm at with this this morning. What would you do? I had to ask myself that question. I had to ask myself, what, what would I do? And I'm like, you know, I voted right away for fame, fortune, luxurious lifestyle. Are you, you know, I mean, again, it, slavery, humiliation, lifestyle of luxury. Y'all are sitting out there looking at me so pompously going, yes, I would have definitely told him I was a Jew. Moses came to a place in his life where he literally refused to live a lie. Let me just tell you something, folks. You've not been created to chase after the, old, the almighty green dollar. You have been created to serve God. Come on. So many things turns our eyes away from the direction God has called us to. Some of the most miserable people on the planet are people that have been called into full-time ministry, but they did not heed that calling, and they've walked away from it. And I tell you, their lives are bitter today. I know people in my own family that have walked away from the calling God has placed on their heart, and it, it, it's a bitter pill to swallow because every day that you live, you know you were not cut out to be what it is that you are. He had two choices to make. Refuse to live a lie. And you see, whenever you refuse to live a lie, that shows that you have integrity. It says that, that, that to, to reflect, whenever he refused, the, 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 the uh, Greek word for that is, is amonai, and it means to reflect 
on and disown not going back. So in other words, whenever Moses, whenever he broke away, he was not going back. He wasn't coming a few days later and go, hey, this slavery thing really stinks, man. I, I would really kind of like to come in, put my old royal robe on, my royal ring, and come back to the Pharaoh's house and, and eat some ribs. <laughs> it wasn't going to work like that. Y'all there? He, he refused. He said, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm leaving this life. I'm disowning it. I'm not going back. He insisted on being what it was that God had made him to be. And so this morning, who, who are you letting define your identity? Because we have a culture, as I said a moment ago, that's trying to define your, your, your identity. You have friends that are around you that are trying to define your identity. I'm absolutely convinced there's a lot of things that I would have never done through my high school years, things that weren't good if I hadn't been running with the friends that I was running with. Are y'all there? It was all their fault. No, just a joke. Who are you allowing to define your identity? Is it your spouse? Is it your parents? Is it TV? Is it the internet? Is it Snapchat? Is it uh, uh, TikTok? Is it t Twitter? It I don't know all that stuff, but I wanted to sound smart to the teenagers. In Romans 12, 2, this is the Phillips translation. It says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for your life is good. In Exodus 32, or 23, 2, it says, don't follow the crowd in doing wrong. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 4, it says, our purpose is to please God, not people. He is the one who examines the motive of our heart. In John 17, 16, this is what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, they are no more, they are no more defined by the world than I am defined by the world. See, whenever you know who you are, you stop relying on the world's approval. And I'm just going to ask a quick question. How many of you like to be approved of? Amen? I like to be approved of. I don't like to go someplace and people look at me and go, I don't approve. And they say it in all different ways. Are you all there? I like to please people. I like to be approved of. But there came a time in Jesus' life where he said, I don't care if people approve of me or not. I'm going to be Jesus. You all there? There has to come a time in our lives where we quit letting the world define who we are. It's not about your careers, folks. It's not about what your education has brought to you. It is about what you have been designed to do. Whenever Moses was born, God looked at him and his life had meaning to it, had a calling on it. And you say, well, that was Moses. I'm telling you, every person that has been born from Moses all the way to you and I, each and every one of us, God has looked at and said, that's a special individual. I have a special calling that I've placed on their lives. So your first life-shaping choice is to resolve to no more be defined by anyone except for God. You can trust God to define you. Years ago, whenever God called me in the ministry, folks, you got to understand the last thing on earth, the last thing on earth I thought I would ever be was a preacher. I mean it. I, I didn't, I had no desire to be a preacher ever. My wife had made the statement before she ever knew me. She said, I will never marry a preacher. 
Seriously, she made that statement. I'll never marry a preacher. She didn't marry a preacher. He called me the minister after we got married. <laughs> yeah, fool her. See, folks, you can trust God. Because I look back at that, and even though I had no desire, I had no inkling, I had no thought of ever becoming a preacher, God called me into the ministry. This is the best life I can live, folks, right here. Best life. I can't imagine being anything else. Somebody asked me not very long ago, I said, well, when are you going to retire? I said, man, I hope I never retire. I hope I just die in the pulpit, right? Whenever I say amen at the close of a service, you guys can just come up, drag me off the stage, drag me down 441. I don't even care. I I'm serious. You can trust God with the decision that he has made for your life. In Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. God has some plans for your life. In the same way he planned out Moses' life, he has planned out yours. The plan of God for your life, listen to this, it is good. But so often, we don't even know the plan for our lives. I, I didn't know the plan for, of God for my life. For the first few years I was alive, I had no clue. And then one day I discovered it. And see, that's what we're going to believe for in this campaign. What on earth am I here for? See, that's, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna dive in and we're going to help one another figure out what the plan of God is for our life. And every one of you that discover that plan, I'll tell you this for sure, you're never going to come back to me and go, you know the plan God has for my life? It stinks. I wish I had his plan over there. He got a good one. <laughs> I love to use voices. I'll tell you this, though, no matter how deep you study into this next six weeks and how much you participate, it's not going to do you any good unless you make up your mind, resolve, I'm going to refuse to let the world squeeze me into its mold. I'm not going to let other people define me. I'm going to become a real success. I'm not going to be a phony you see, that's what Moses would have been if he had stayed in the house of Pharaoh. He would have been a fake. He would have been an artificial success. Real success in each and every one of our lives is being exactly what we were created to be and nothing more than that. This is real success. Listen to me. It's not how much you got in a 401k. It's not how successfully you climb the corporate ladder. Success is being who God has made you to be. That's success. If you don't have one nickel in a 401k and you are what God has made you to be, you are a success. If you don't ever have the corner office, nobody coming in and says, can I get you coffee, boss? <laughs> you don't have any of those things. If you are just what God has made you to be, that's the greatest success you can be. Second life-shaping choice. Okay, first one, don't let people squeeze you into a, any other mold except for the mold God has made for you. Life-shaping choice number two, choose short-term pain for long-term gain. 
And man, right as I said that, I know some of you in this room shut it off. He said pain. I don't like pain. I don't want pain. <laughs> See, I love to do voices. Choose short-term pain for long-term gain. Most problems in our lives today, and I'm telling you, if you trace them back to the roots, most problems in our lives today are from the inability to delay gratification. You've heard the old sports analogy, no pain, no gain, right? Every one of us has probably heard that. You can take it from sports into financial, into your health, into your relations, into spiritual. You can say, if there's no pain, there's no gain in anything that you look at in your life. See, whatever, what, what everybody wants today, this is what we want. Correct me if I'm wrong. But is there anybody in this room that doesn't want it now? Now. I want my fries now, and I want them hot now. I don't want them five minutes now, now. Okay, we want it now. Second thing is this. I want it free. Some of you go, I don't, I'd love to pay. <laughs> Last one is, I want it easy. Now, free and easy. Does that sound familiar by any chance? Okay, does it feel... Do you feel anything going on inside of you? You go, yeah, that's me. I can tell you, if I got it now free and easy, I would be happy. Are you all there? But remember this. We got to choose short-term pain for long-term gain. And I promise you, there's no pain in now, there's no pain in free, and there's no pain in easy. We have a credit crisis that's going on in the United States of America right now. And the reason that we have a credit crisis is because people cannot, they do not have the ability to delay gratification. Uh, I want a new car. And so they go down and they sign away for 48 years to pay for that car. We want something and we don't have the money for it. We just lay out the old plastic card. So just put it right there on that. I think I got enough on my credit limit to manage that. Are y'all there? I'm just saying, you know, everybody's looking at me real funny right now, but I'm just telling you there, there is a problem with this because there's no, there, the short-term pain of saving up for something. And it's, again, I heard something about layaway the other day. Whenever I was a kid, we used to have layaway. That meant you paid for it before you got it. Amen? And your parents always, you know, used to use that as, a, as, as something that hung over your head. So you remember that I put on layaway for you? I'm going to take it off. You don't straighten up. Sometimes the, the right thing is the hard thing to do. Let me just rephrase that. Most of the time, the right thing is the hard thing to do. In Hebrews eleven twenty five, 25, look at what it says. Moses chose to be, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. You know what I love about the Bible. It always tells the truth. It doesn't gloss over anything. And whenever you look at this verse, it says, rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time, because let me just say this to you, sin is fun. And you go, oh, I can't believe that came from a pastor's mouth. I'm telling you, it came from the Bible. Sin is fun. The pleasures of sin for a short time. Sin is fun. Even the Bible admits it, sin is fun. Nobody would do sin if it was painful. Come on. 
Nobody be doing sin if it was painful. Oh, that hurt. I ain't never doing that again. Yes, the pleasures of sin for a short time is fun. We do sin because it's pleasurable. It's pleasurable to do all kinds of things that we're not supposed to. It's not good for us. But it says the pleasures of sin is just for a season. You know what that means? A short time. Somebody that's going out and getting high for the first few times. Oh, boy, this is enjoyable. But whenever you become hooked to heroin and you're out there selling your body for the next fix that you get, all of a sudden this is not fun anymore. It's painful. Hallelujah. You can go out, you can have your kicks, but know this, God's not going to stop you from doing that, but, but you will have kickbacks from those kicks. we got to make good choices, and you can't choose the choice and then not choose the consequence because that's the key. Folks, every choice that I have has got a consequence, good or bad. It's interesting, in verse number 23, it says, God, God chose Moses when he was a baby. He said, hey, that's the guy I'm going to use. But in verse number 24, it says Moses had to choose God. God's chosen you, but the question is, have you chosen him? It says whenever he had grown up, I just want to spend just a minute on this. Whenever he had grown up. You know, one of the biggest problems we have today in America is that there's a whole lot of people running around in adult bodies that have never grown up. Amen. Some of the stuff that's happening on our streets today should have been dealt with back whenever they were in kindergarten. Come on. To respect people's property instead of burning it down. And, and I could go on for days here. But the question that I have to pose to Everybody listening this morning is, when are you going to grow up? When are you going to take responsibility for yourself? When are you going to quit blaming others? And it happens all the time. I used to blame people. I used to blame my own family. So used to, you know the reason I used to have a bad temper is because my dad had a bad temper and his dad had a bad temper and his dad's dad had a bad temper and, you know, the whole thing. I just inherited a bad temper and I found out that it didn't have anything to do with my dad. My dad lived 1,300 miles away from me. It wasn't my dad's fault. It was my fault. I was choosing to let things make me mad. Come on. You can't blame people for your unhappiness. You can't, you can't blame people for your temper. you got to quit blaming others, and you have to grow up and be responsible. Man, if you lose your temper, go through the house, slamming the doors and hitting the walls and everything, it's you, folks. It's not your spouse that made you mad. You chose to get mad. I haven't been mad, in, I haven't been mad since Cody was a little baby, and he's fixing to be 40. Not this year, next year, but he's close enough we just round it off because he's been telling me I'm close enough to 60 I can just round it off, so there. Don't say amen to that. But it's true. I found out it wasn't, it was, it wasn't, about, it wasn't about things around me. It was about how I responded to those things around me. You got to grow up and you got to be responsible. Just a quick question, where do you need to accept responsibility? Five facts here that I just want to go through very briefly. You're as close to God as you choose to be. 
You can't come in here and say, well, you know, I'm just not very close to God because pastor always preaches lousy sermons. You know, the worship's terrible and these pews are so hard. <laughs> I tell you, you can be close to God if you're meeting in a cow pasture. Okay. You can't live off other spiritual commitments. Your wife ain't going to get you to heaven. Your husband's not going to get you to heaven. Your parents are not going to get you to heaven. You can't live off of their commitment. Number three, you can't blame others for the direction of your life. Well, but you don't know what my childhood was like. You don't know what mine was like either, except the parts I told you. People can hurt you, they can harm you, they can scar you, but nobody can ruin your life unless you let them. We're all products of our past. Don't get me wrong, we're all products but I'm not a prisoner to my past, and nor will I ever be. Number four, you are free to choose, but not free from the consequences. Number five, you will have pain in life, either now or later. Take it easy now, and life is going to be harder later. Put in hard effort now, and it's going to be easier later. Short-term pain. That's what we got to look at. Let me give you a couple promises about pain just to tell you that it's, it's okay to have some short-term pain. In Romans 5, 3, and 4, it says, we can have joy in our troubles because we know that these troubles produce patience and patience produces character and character produces hope. Are you listening to what it says? We can have joy in our troubles, because whenever we have troubles, we can say, hey, baby, this is producing patience in me, and that patience that's being produced in me is producing character in me, Woo! and that character is producing hope in me. Short-term pain. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, these present troubles are quite small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us an immeasurably great glory that will last forever. God is going to reward us in heaven, folks. He's going to reward us. We're going to get to heaven one of these days, and he's going to lay that reward on us, and we're going to go, oh, man, was it worth it. That short-term pain on that earth that I used to live on, it was worth this glory that God has bestowed upon me. We could, there's going to be a lot of celebrating in heaven of people who gave that short-term pain for long-term gain. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says this, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is not seen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I'm not, you know, I'm not looking at what this life deals out to me as much as I'm looking at what heaven is going to be like. Amen? Short-term pain for long-term gain because God's more interested in your character than your comfort. Let me say that again. God is more interested in your character than your comfort. In fact, I'll be very honest with you. I don't think God is concerned about our comfort whatsoever. The first thing that I do is say I'm not going to, uh, uh, I, I'm going to refuse to let myself be defined by others. The second thing is I'm going to choose short-term pain over long for, for long-term gain. The third life-shaping choice, and again, these are life-shaping choices, is we got to choose God's values, not the world's. 
It's so easy to choose the world's values, folks, because I'll be very honest with you, 50 years ago, the churches of Jesus Christ that existed in the United States of America weren't nearly as liberal as they are today. You go, what are you talking about? Folks, I'm telling you, the culture that you and I live in has crept into the church of Jesus Christ. There's things that we do today that they would have considered totally, completely off base as far as Christianity is concerned. We got to choose God's values, not the world's. In Hebrews 11.26, it says, Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Regard means to elevate, to consider, to weigh in the balance. Moses made a value judgment. He clarified what mattered most in his life. He says, man, what matters most to me is what God has, not what the Pharaoh's given me. And so this morning, i got to ask a quick question. What matters most in your life? Just very quickly off the top of your head, list the top three values that your life is based on. Quickly, quickly, quickly. Think about it. You ask me, I made a very simple decision many years ago to live by integrity, humility, and generosity. Those are three things that I brought into my life. And I said, man, I'm going to base my life on these three things. I'm not there completely, I'll tell you that but I have built my life around these three things. They are antidotes for the trap of leadership. You haven't identified the top three things in your life that you base your life on. I will tell you that you certainly can't live by those things if you can't even identify them. If you don't decide what matters most, other people in your life will decide what matters most in your life. They're going to push you into their mold. You're going to live their values and not your values. You've got to decide what's important and then live by those values. Not live by other people's values, but the values that God wants you to live by. Moses said, I'm not going to live by the world's values. And, and you know, whenever you begin to think about what the world values, what is the world value? What, what is valuable to the world? Well, valuable to the world is to be popular. I've been waiting to have my two millionth follower in Facebook. I'm just dying to have that. I have three now. The world says that prestige and power, to be famous, to be powerful. The world says pleasure. Oh my goodness, the world says pleasure. I want to feel good. I want you to feel good. Pleasure. The last thing is possessions. I want you to have all the goods. That's what the world says to you. They, they say, I want you to have everything, J.D. Watson, that Stuff Mart could ever have for you. Stuff Mart. And the ironic thing about this whole story of Moses is, by these standards, Moses had it made. I mean, he had popularity, prestige, power. He had all the pleasures that could ever be afforded to him, had all the possessions that he ever could be afforded to him. But Moses chose to walk away from it. And you have to ask that question, why, Moses, did you do that? Are you crazy? Moses knew, and that's why he walked away from it. He knew that these things didn't last. How many of you ever bought the greatest, latest thing from Stuff Mart, and then six weeks later, you were throwing it out into the garbage mart? 
1 John 2, 17 says, the world and everything in it, people desire, in it that people desire is passing away, but those who do the will of God will live forever. The wise way to live is to choose God's values. And what does God value? We see them in Moses' choices. God's purpose is more valuable than popularity. As Pharaoh's grandson, literally the heir to the throne of Egypt, a celebrity, fame never lasts. You realize if Moses would have just stayed the prince of Egypt, that nobody but Egyptologists would have known his name. Think about it. They'd have been digging in some tomb over there in Egypt and saying, well, who's this guy named Moses? I don't know. Cover him back up. But now the whole face of the earth knows Moses. I just, that was free. I will not, I'm not even charged for that little footnote. The things that God values, people are more valuable than pleasure. Moses traded a royal lifestyle in order to help needy slaves. The third thing is this, peace of mind is more valuable than possessions. You, can, you, you cannot buy peace of mind. How many of you know that? Folks, you can buy the latest, greatest security, have all cameras, man. You can have it tied up to the police, the Air Force, the Marines. You can, you know, if they come, if your bell goes off, so on and so forth, it cannot buy you peace of mind. Peace of mind comes from doing God's will. Moses gave up what you and I spend our lives trying to get, the world's pleasures, the world's treasures, the world's measure of success. Why? Because Moses was looking ahead to a reward. He gave it all up. People are more valuable than pleasures, and peace of mind is more valuable than possessions, and, and God's purposes are more valued than popularity. And, and, and I'm going to do the short-term pain for the long-term gain, God. Why? Because I'm looking ahead for my reward. Vision sets values. Vision sets values. What you're looking at will determine what you value. And if you keep your eyes on Jesus, that's what you're going to value. If you keep your eyes on the world's stuff, that's what you're going to value. Now, there's a fourth life-shaping choice that Moses made. It's the fourth resolution that he made, and this is it. Choose to live by faith, not by fear. Hebrews 11.27 says, By faith, by faith, Moses left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. I choose to live by faith, not by fear. Man, I want to tell you, if there was ever a time that we could live by fear, it's during this corona pandemic. Amen? I mean, for heaven's sakes, we could, we could be hunkered down still in our basements, never coming out because we're so scared of this. But God says, folks, we got to be a people who live by faith, not by fear. If you're going to make a resolution and keep it, it will change your life dramatically. I'm going to be a person of faith. I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to walk. I'm out of the camera. I'm, I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to walk by faith. That's who we ought to be as a church. That's who we ought to be as individuals. That's what we ought to be as family. We're going to be a family of faith, man. We've got a, we've got a catastrophe here. We're going to join together as a family, and we're going to believe God for the answer. 
We got to quit. We got to be a people that quit living in fear. Start living in faith. Whenever you get to that verse, you ought to be circling that verse, faith, and circling that, those words, not fearing. We need to be people who, who live by one or the other. You're going to live by faith in life or you're going to live by fear in life. Moses goes to the most powerful man in the world. Man, if you think about, you think about this craziness. Moses goes to Pharaoh. And he says, hey, Pharaoh, baby. I don't know if he said baby or not, but it sounded good. You know those slaves that are building all your pyramids, doing all those bricks and stuff? I'm taking them. And we're all leaving. We're leaving Egypt. We're going out into the desert. We're packing up everything, and we're leaving. And you're not going to have any slaves anymore, Pharaoh, baby. <laughs> so, Pharaoh, baby, let my people go, baby. That's what he said. And I got to tell you something. If I would have been Moses standing in the presence of Pharaoh, I would have had every reason to be afraid. Going up against the most powerful being on the planet, the most powerful man on the planet, Pharaoh was literally considered to be a god. He could command you to do anything, and you had to do it. Moses is going, hey, Pharaoh, baby, we're leaving. We're out of here. Bye. I mean, I think Pharaoh might have, you know, hey, Moses, baby, you and what army is going to take those, those Israelites out of here? I mean, I think I'd have been shaking a little bit in my boots. But Moses goes and he says, I'm not afraid of you because I report to a higher authority. He, 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 he was walking by faith. I want to tell you something, man, if Pharaoh would have shook his fist at me, I would have probably turned and run. And some of y'all go, I wouldn't have. I'm a man of faith. Don't even go there, please. You see, the closer that you get to God, the less fear that you're going to have in your life. The further that you get away from God, the more that you're going to be filled with fear. I can't overemphasize this. The importance of faith for the rest of your life is imperative. You must be a man or woman of faith. Without faith, the Bible tells us, it's impossible to please God. And this question comes to me so many times during the week. How many times have I pleased God today? How many times have I been a man that walks according to faith, not by sight, but according to faith? And let me just say this, folks. God doesn't listen to your complaints. <laughs> I'm good at complaining. He listens to our faith. We can complain all we want to all day long, and God's going, yeah, 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 yeah. But somehow or another, we got to muster up that faith because faith is what moves the hand of God. You want something to change in your life? Stop complaining and start believing God for it. God is not moved by our complaints. God is moved by faith. According to your faith, it will be done is what the Bible says. And so during the next three, or excuse me, during the next six weeks, we're going to build our faith in God, God's purpose, God's plan for our lives. It's so important that we walk by faith. And here's the key to it. What matters is not the size of your faith. Think about this. You say, well, Pastor, I don't have great big faith. Well, Jesus is the one that says, you have faith the size of a mustard seed. Let me tell you something. A mustard seed does not any close to the diameter of a watermelon. It's a little tiny speck that you can't only see in your hand. He says, he says, you can speak to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. And if you don't doubt it, that mountain is coming down and running out into the sea. 
And so you say, oh, pastor, I don't have great faith. It's not the size of your faith, but it's the size of the God that you put that faith in. You see, a little bit of faith in a big God gets big results. The key is who you put your faith in that makes the difference. Everybody has faith. Everybody has faith. Even an atheist has faith. You can't live in a world without faith. You use your faith every day. It's just what it is that you put your faith in. You had faith whenever you came in here and sat down on that pew, that it would hold you. And one of the things that we've discovered over the last few uh, months, Matthew and I, is that it's a wonder it held them. Amen, Matthew? They were missing a couple of screws. But you had faith in it. It's going to hold you whenever you come in. Everybody has faith. It's just what you put that faith in. The key is to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And I don't know. I could be talking to somebody in this room that you... I've never put my faith in Jesus Christ, Pastor. Somebody in uh, online watching us, you maybe you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, but if you haven't done that, if you haven't come to a saving knowledge of Jesus by laying your life down, asking Him to forgive you of your sins and asking Him to be your Lord and asking Him to be your Savior, then you need to do that. That's the first thing that you need to do before you go any further. You need to put your faith in Jesus Christ. In Galatians 2.16, it says, no one can please God by simply obeying the law. So we put our faith in Jesus Christ, and God accepted us because of our faith. So those are the four resolutions. So how do you keep those resolutions? How do you keep them? How do you keep those resolutions? Can I just tell you all a secret? Whenever I make a New Year's resolution... I don't ever tell anybody. I just start doing it, and then I quit doing it, and nobody knows. The worst thing that you can do is make a whole bunch of resolutions and blab them to everybody. Because don't you doubt this. If you told me that you were going to be on a diet, you were losing 7,500 pounds, and I see you at a church picnic stuffing food in your mouth a hundred miles an hour ago, that, that resolution didn't last, did it? <laughs> Come on. But if you hadn't told anybody, you're good. That's what this whole campaign is about. Because if you and I are going to keep our resolutions, I will tell you this, you need support to do that. You need people around you praying for you that says, man, I'm going to pray with you about these resolutions that you've made. You need people to keep you accountable. If you're there at the picnic and you're stuffing food in your mouth, you need somebody to come over there and get your plate. Say, you don't need any more. Come on, I'm telling the truth. You know, whenever you have people holding you accountable, it's so much easier to do it. Folks, you can't climb Mount Everest alone. I think there's only been like one person do it and they regretted it. You need a whole team behind you. In Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, it says, let us be concerned for one another and help one another, show love and do good. Let us not give up on the habit of meeting together as some are doing. Instead, let us encourage one another. That's the importance of small groups. 
We need small groups. We need a group of people because it's hard to come in here and tell everybody, well, this is the resolutions I've made and this is how I'm going to keep them. But man, it's so easy to in a group of people who love you and are on your side. Man, I'm telling you, they'd vote for you if you were running for president. Are you all there with me? They're with you. They're in your corner. It's so easy to go in and say, man, I had a bad week. I ate 17 Big Macs this week, and I'm trying to lose weight. And so what they do is they go down to McDonald's, and they give them your picture, and they say, don't feed this man. You see how small group can help you? They're so important. Can I, can I just say this? Um, as your pastor, as someone who loves you, I got to tell you this. I, I hate to kind of tell you this, but let's just say over the course of the next 365 days, there is probably going to be a crisis in your life. It's actually called life. Whenever I was in Winston-Salem, I was a district pastor, and my responsibility as a district pastor was to kind of, you know, kind of pastor a whole bunch of small groups. And we had several small groups in this uh, community of believers, and they were just churning. They were going. And, and I can remember one day uh, getting a phone call to uh, go to the hospital for one of the uh, people in our congregation. Their child had a medical emergency, and so they were rushed to the hospital. And I was just minutes from the hospital. And man, I mean, the minute that phone came, phone call came through, I jumped in the car. Pff, I didn't let anything stop me. I'm there at the hospital within just minutes. And I walked in the hospital, the emergency room, and to my surprise, the person's child that was in the medical emergency, their whole small group was in the emergency room waiting area. And I walked in there and I said, oh, I know you, 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 you. And all of a sudden, I took great offense to that because what I figured out is this. They called them before they called the pastor. My feelings were just plumb hurt. And then I went in, you know, we get a little bit of information on what's going on and, you know, how critical the situation was. And I said, well, let's get together and, you know, let's, let's pray over this. And, you know, because that's what pastors do. And one of the people chimed up and said, well, we already did, Pastor, but if you want to pray again, we can do that. And I go, well, I'm not needed. And I went, I went to Dairy Queen and got ice cream. No, you know what I did? I was so proud of those people because that's what church should be for. Right there. I do not have the capability to pastor every person in this room, but I'm telling you, whenever you're part of a small group, there's benefits to it. Benefits. And so we need to understand that if we're going to keep these resolutions, we got to be part of a small group. I can tell you story after story after story. Pastor Clinton stood up here a few moments ago, and he talked about this group that he's got going. And he talked about all the individuals that are coming to this group, and they've knitted their lives together. They depend on one another. I could call them up here right now, and they would tell you, man, I depend on my group. I need my group. I love my group. I have an idea if one of them had a medical emergency, I'd be the last person in the church to know if they had a medical emergency because their group would all be down at the hospital. And you know what? That makes me happy because that's what groups do for one another. The second thing that we need is we don't only need that support team from a small group, but we need to be able to be people who ask and expect God to help us. 
Because as I told you earlier, you cannot do this by willpower. You can't just say, I'm, I'm going to give out that, that exertion now. It's, it's no pain, no gain. I'm going to give out the pain right now. Because once that pain starts, you're going to go, uh, wait a minute, I don't like this pain too much. Let's change directions. Jared, if you'll help me come and close this this morning, you and I have to be people that expect the help of God. In Isaiah 57, 50, verse 7, it says, Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be dismayed. Therefore, I have set my, set my face like a stone, determined to do his will, and I know that I will triumph. Let me read that again because this is such an amazing verse. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be dismayed. Therefore, I have set my face like a stone, determined to do his will and know that I will triumph. We got to ask and then we got to expect. We got to ask and expect. I'm, I'm going to believe God to be a part of my life in such a way that I see every one of these things that I've committed to come to pass in my life. We got to focus on God. We got to focus on faith. That's how to keep our resolutions. You focus on God and you have faith. The Bible says this about Moses. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. Moses was a success. I don't think there'd be anybody in this room that would doubt that. You look at what God did with the life of Moses and you gotta understand that God accomplished the impossible in his life. Moses was able to do all the things that he did because he seen the invisible. You say, well, what's that, Pastor? Moses was living in the light of eternity. And trust me with this, folks. Your life that you are living right now, it counts towards eternity. When I was growing up, there was something called SNH green stamps. And my dad used to get a bunch of them because he was a cop and he filled up with gas all the time. And they'd reel out these green stamps and he'd bring them home and I'd lick them and stick them in these books. And if you got 7,000 books, you could get a free baseball glove. And he used to say, these are yours, J.D. You can do whatever you want to with them. And man, I licked them stamps and oh, they tasted good. I used to do all of that licking and sticking because I knew what I was going to get if I got enough books of stamps. I can remember about maybe one or once or twice going to Albuquerque to the SNH Green Stamp store. And I'll walk through the aisles looking for that thing I'd seen in its little catalog. And I'm going, man, I had like a wagon full of books behind me and I'm going to trade them in for a baseball glove. I did all of it because I knew what was coming. Amen. I knew what I was going to get. Moses did all that he did because he was focused on eternity. The only thing that's going to keep you and I on track is focusing on eternity. And my job as your pastor is to keep you on track. Your job as a small group member is to keep each other on track. To keep focused. So 
Next week, we're going to begin this journey together. And I urge you with everything that's in me to make these four life-shaping resolutions and then ask God's Spirit to empower you to keep them. Because if you make these decisions, they will set your life on a successful course. I'd like to pray a prayer over you this morning as we close this service. And I just believe God to just do so much in each one of us through this spiritual growth campaign. Because I, I just, I can't imagine anybody in this room or anybody listening online that just wants to drift through the rest of their lives. I believe we all want to move with direction and purpose in our lives. And so, Father, this morning I come to you and just like Moses, I want myself and every person that's listening to the sound of my voice to commit to these four life-shaping resolutions. First, with your help, Lord, I want us all to resolve not to let other people define us. I want to be, Lord, what you have made me to be. I want what every person in this room has been designed to be. I want them to, I want them to see that manifest in their life. And second, Lord, I want to resolve to choose short-term pain over long-term gain, Father. I want that long-term gain, Father. I want it. And third, I resolve for the rest of my life to live by your values, Lord, not the values of this world. The world's values, they won't last. And finally, Lord God, I, reserve, I, I resolve to live the rest of my life as the best that I know how by faith and not fear. I want to be someone, Father God, that is moved by the faith that you have placed in my heart. Father, I want to be a man of faith. I want every person in this room, Lord God, to be someone who operates in the realm of faith every day of their life. And Father, this morning I realize that, that it's, it's only by your grace and it's only by your power that I can keep any of these commitments. But I ask for you, Jesus, as I put my total faith in you, I ask you, Lord God, to empower me. I ask you to guide me, Lord Jesus. I ask you to do the same to everyone, Father God, whether they are here in this sanctuary or listening online. Guide us, empower us. And I pray over this spiritual growth campaign, Lord. I pray that there's no one left out unless they just want to be. And I pray, Father, that we can raise up enough groups around this community, Lord God, that we can indeed touch this community with the love and the power and passion that you have for each one of us. So, Father, it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen and amen. God bless you, folks.